0: Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, a podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Jaffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're speaking to you this week from the clubhouse of the Biff Burns Memorial Baseball Field here on the beautiful Hoople campus. Today we're talking about a recent analysis of an enigmatic third millennium BCE burial mound in North Syria, which proposes that bones interred into the surface of the so-called White Monument at Tel Banat were those of the site's defenders who were killed in battle. How would this unusual war memorial have worked and what does it suggest about the human need to commemorate the dead along with their faithful animal companions what is a kunga anyway and how does donkey basketball figure in okay so here's here's the lightning round that i had in i had in mind apropos the topic du jour um most beautiful cemetery that you've ever seen.
1: Mm. Mm. Ah. Okay. Gosh.
0: Um, I'll go. I'll go first. Okay. You know, All right. Um, it's. It was in in um, the Scottish Lowlands. Ooh. The, the Minto Parish Churchyard in in the village of Minto. And I was there with. Uh, with my friends to visit the grave of lieutenant general sir alexander galloway but it was the most beautiful place one of the most beautiful places i've ever been because it's the scottish lowlands and the rolling hills and the sheep each of the sheep on the hills looks like it's painted on individually <laughs> little white fluffy dots and uh, there's this beautiful view and a big statue and i'm like wow this is
2: gorgeous here did um, you buy a plot I that's where this that's where this whole question is heading to. Did you buy a plot? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I, I
0: wasn't uh, I wasn't thinking ahead far enough.
2: <laughs> or at that point, or even better but. yet, you should have just just sort of you know thrown up a little mini house and just lived there.
0: <laughs> that's true. Well, the. Uh, we had to get the keys from the from the caretaker to get into the church because it's not a big it's not a big hopping place anymore. Mm-hmm. But all right. Um, all right, that's my that's my example. Okay.
1: Well, okay. I'll I'll say that I haven't seen very many lovely cemeteries because a lot of them here in New York are just not so lovely. Um, but um, <laughs> I will say that there are several cemeteries in Valhalla and in Westchester that are filled with rolling hills. But I will add to this that the cemetery that I would most like to see, that I imagine is beautiful, but I really have no idea, is the one in Jaffrey, New Hampshire, where the archeologist Frederick Jones Bliss is buried, where uh, several archeologists I know have made pilgrimages to visit his his grave. All right, let's jump in the car. Yeah, I'd like to do that.
2: Oh my (laughs) God. (laughs) <laughs> I would like to be buried in a cemetery in Valhalla. I think that's a very ni- nice, neat little package. Yeah. And, and I'm, sure, I'm sure the cemeteries there do very well based just on that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, so you would like to go to Bliss's uh, 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 um, cemetery plot? Yes.
1: Yes, I really would.
2: Okay. And, and one of these days I will. I was going to say, it seems pretty doable.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. you just have to, like... You it's gotta a, get in the car. Yeah. It's Is like there a,
2: gas in the car? Yes. There's <laughs> gas in the car. <laughs> it's like an
1: overnight. <laughs> an How overnight long's trip. the trip from New York to New Hampshire? Probably five, six hours. Yeah, yeah. probably something like that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's an overnight. Okay. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> but
0: I guess we're not going to uh, to visit Tel Benach. Right.
2: Okay well I have two two answers to that question one is um, my my family uh, did a tour of a downtown cemetery in Savannah Georgia and it was one of those oh. spooky tours but this cemetery was gorgeous with big oak trees with the spanish moss and you know a, a wrought iron railing surrounding it and you know big large, you know, monumental, you know, statues and uh, gravestones and all of that. It was just, it was a very classic looking um, Southern Gothic cemetery. Um, Probably not as nice as the, I think yours, Alex, sounds really, the one in Scotland sounds really quite Mm -hmm. idyllic, but this was very, you know, in the Edgar Allan Poe kind of way, a beautiful cemetery. And then if I could expand the parameters, the most interesting cemetery I ever went to was in Moscow, where they have just incredible gravestones that were often statues of very, very famous people, none of which whom I can remember now, but, you know, all sorts of, you know, Soviet literate and uh, intelligentsia and all of that. I can't, I mean, there were lots of very famous people buried there. Um, And, and you would just go and they, and there were, beautiful trees in it. It was all, it was very, it was quite beautiful. It was really nice. Um, Nice. And it was really interesting. I I mean, I, you know, I want to say if not Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, people of that caliber. At least Pushkin. What? At least Pushkin. At least Pushkin, (laughs) Gogol, you know, um, right. And so, you know, you would just go from one very famous person to another. Uh, and and it was you know it was pretty it was pretty intense it was really uh, very interesting hmm.
1: so should we move this towards what we're going to be talking about now that we've well, talked I, about this beautiful i
0: cemetery? want to visit the telbanot cemetery but i have to uh i have to find my speedo <laughs> <laughs> it's at the bottom of a of a of a lake,
1: a, oh, oh, right, right.
0: lake or, or something That's
1: right because the flooding of the Euphrates has now covered the site. That's what you mean.
0: Kind of a shame. I mean, how tall was this uh, was this white monument? And Uh, we should, I guess we should clarify for our our viewer,
1: listener um,
0: that uh, this is this is a, a monument. It was white. It was covered with gypsum. It shone in the sun and it was right next to this third millennium city part of this third millennium city.
1: And I found somewhere that it was 22 meters high, this particular pyramid shaped burial mound. So that's pretty high.
2: Yeah, that is pretty high. Um, It's a lot of baskets of dirt. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Labor being what it was back then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, let's see, at zero zero cents per hour. (laughs) These things add up.
1: So it's, it's being called a, it's being called the oldest war memorial, right? Yes.
0: Well, it's interesting at at a variety of levels. Uh, There aren't a lot of, I mean, you have a lot of burial mounds in, in antiquity, those big pyramidal shaped things in Egypt, for example. For <laughs> <started>. <laughs> what do we call those? <laughs> but those are those are obviously royal cemeteries.
1: Yeah, and but, uh, this is also a secondary burial and it's kind of a wacky secondary burial it, at that. It's,
2: it's very wacky and it's very interesting. And I thought that the analysis, the interpretation of the data that they had was was just was just beautiful they have a certain amount of data and it can really it's quite malleable it can, and it was stretched and pulled in lots of different <laughs> and interesting directions and it was a it was a lot of fun to think about you know about this whole idea of a war memorial and of these as you said these secondary burials and the whole process of of you know um historical memory and all of these kinds of things yeah really uh came into focus and, and uh it was delightful to to read about this
1: i i agree i like that you called the the evidence malleable and and interesting and i agree with both of those it was a lot of fun to think about um and uh well well we'll see but what we, we,
0: find, could we find other interpretations
1: well, well right um <laughs> I, I thought that
0: there might be there might be one or two other interpretations, like let's make a mound out of the these the collected bones of our enemies and stomp on it every day when we go up to the top or look at, <laughs> it, we look at it every day and right.
2: Right. could go well, on could go either way right but that's still a it's still a war memorial right in right in that regard um, and so uh, I I think that. Yeah, I th- and I think that the that the authors are very candid about not knowing whether it was it was an homage or a, re- a collection of the victor's bones or the or the uh, losers. Uh, right. bones. They but, were quite- I
1: think sorry in in either case, um, I think they think that it was the people it was the relatives or the same side of the people who died people who put who it were together. Alive
0: who collected
2: the bones
1: <laughs> right right no it was not stomping. on what we can agree on i think okay. the excavators don't think it was people stomping on the bones that's an interesting alternate interpretation because of the the care and the groupings of the bones that they are that they were talking about um, and the, the fact earlier, that in,
0: there are two phases the earlier yeah. bones are Ooh. in these
2: little pits Right. Well, there are three phases actually.
0: Right, all the way at the bottom. Right. Is the earliest phase. Right. And when you have equid burials.
2: Right. Right. But so the latest
0: phase with the, the war memorial phase seems to be just kind of bones put here and there in the surface of the of the uh, of the
2: of the, of these horizontal sort of layers that they yeah, were like laying
1: layers. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 But and but some but the, again they were still in groupings because some of these that they're calling part of the war memorial are buried with with parts of equids and some other groupings are buried with these biconical pellets. The pellets. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Do we want to talk about these pellets? There's quite a bit of
2: attention given to these pellets. Yeah. And the fact that there is this crazy, uh, uh, crazy gateway uh, at Tel Banat uh, that are filled with pellets, and that these pellets were presumably used in, you know, as as weapons and slings, right. and uh, made by children. Right. They could well, be well, made by children. They could be slung by children. So the question here, that. yeah, 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 is I I get it that these, if you were, you know, deluged with with fifty or sixty pellets, that you know it would hurt a lot. I get all, all that. But are these things really effective weapons? If you're, if you're trying to, you know, defend a city, or if you're trying to attack a city, is that is that really the level that this we're?
0: This why you need a big graduate program.
1: Well, they have a big graduate program in Toronto, where some of the excavators are now oh, situated. They and... didn't
0: actually do the experiment. Oh, they.
2: Oh, right, <laughs> I, see. oh I see. Yes. Right.
1: Right. right. <laughs> well, um, this I is think like they... a History Channel level experiment. Right. Right yeah so we need we need some some slingshots and some pellets but these things aren't fired so they're not like it's not like you're throwing
0: cuneiform tablets at, at people <laughs> that just could hurt
1: of, that could really hurt
0: yeah, That could, kill, could put out an eye <laughs> but these, are, these are like sun-dried
2: sun-dried things but they're all
0: pretty substantial looking
2: Yeah, they are. Yeah, And and obviously they found enough of them. I mean, there's no reason to dismiss that they weren't used as weapons. I'm just wondering sort of the level of efficacy.
1: Well, one thing that I read was that this is not, this was not their first theory. Um, Their first theory about the site and the burials was that um, this might be um, pastoralists and the biconical pellets were used to throw at predatory animals attacking the flocks. But then they came round once they did a more serious analysis of the data. And I think it was probably ethnographic anthropological evidence that was, um, you know, you can, even children sometimes make these pellets. And, uh, but at,
0: the, in, in the next, at the next site over um, at Tel Bazi, there was this cache of yeah. like 20,000 of these. Right. Oh, that, that's right.
2: the site with the gate. right? That's that weird gate, Tel Bazi, right.
0: Either they've got a real predator problem, <laughs> or, or, you know, they're, they're, uh, Loaded for bear, so to speak. Right.
1: right. So, so somebody's attacking and firing, or being fired upon by hundreds of pellets.
2: I just really the scene that comes most to mind is some kind of Python-esque scene yeah. where, where they're being deluged with these things, and it, and they just look at each other and they're like, "It's not killing us. It's enough with this, you know. Just, right, it's right. Just right. A plane. Stop you, stop right. you, you Mesopotamian silly little Mesopotamian kniggets." <laughs> but,
0: this is, but this is where the this is where the kungas come in. The, yes, kunga. the kungas. Right.
2: So I want OK, so that's very interesting. We have been studying Near Eastern archaeology for most of our lives. And we've read about all sorts of things. Right. And we know much less than we used to know. But we still know a little bit. Why is it that it took until 2021 for, <laughs> for me to be exposed to you know the the equid par excellence of the Anatolian mesopotamian plains the kunga, <laughs> kunga. Yeah. because that 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 is a fantastic scrabble word <laughs> that, had i known about that man yeah, I been,
1: I yeah. Been, <laughs> we've all been talking about equids and equid burials for decades but i've never encountered the right. kunga exactly yeah
0: <laughs> as far as i can determine the kunga is somewhere between <laughs> an ass and an onager
1: is it onager i thought it was onager. I, i've always said onager but what do yeah. i know um another, <laughs>
0: another question that we encourage our listener to to mail in
2: but isn't an onager just a wild donkey? wild ass yeah wild ass yeah Is it wild ass i don't think it's <laughs> <laughs> it was going to well, be the name about of, a wild ass <laughs> it was going to be the name of a of a bourbon but for some reason they settled on wild turkey instead
0: <laughs> yeah native a native uh an asian wild ass native to northern iran okay.
2: right so um, that's so that's the onager
0: right you do not you domesticate an onager
2: or an onager <laughs> <laughs> i'm going with onager
0: and you, you domesticate it
2: more Kunga-like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. And you have like a whole bunch of them, which makes a Kunga
2: line. <laughs> oh, that's where this is going. <laughs> oh.
1: Nice.
2: It's all led up, up to this. Yeah, yeah. See yeah. That. how long were you working on that? Very well played. <laughs> very well played.
0: And, yeah. the, and I, I like the idea of the
2: battle car. <laughs> <laughs> I always called them battle wagons. I've never heard or seen battle car. I've yeah. always seen them referred to as battle
1: wagons. I, I thought of them as sort of donkey carts. Well, and yeah, but donkey carts in war would be battle wagons. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the the idea that these things could be turned by young by adolescent boys jumping on a jumping on the back step of them, I I think that really does that would be great to see, you know, in some kind of a troy-like movie you know right some kind of sargon movie with um with with these battle carts i mean I, I don't know. Battle, carts. battle carts
0: you know it's it's interesting because i don't know the last time i saw i don't know maybe a biblical movie certainly in the ten commandments where they're out there with their chariots and they've got actual full-size horses right. i can i acknowledge more than acknowledge that that would be absolutely terrifying. Yes. Uh, to be on the receiving end of. Yes. Whereas the Astron battle car, <laughs> uh, I don't know, how fast could you,
2: exactly. fast could you get and that going? And also, we, we all know about donkeys. I mean, you know, donkeys have a mind of very, very strong-willed animals. Right. So they, they stop on a dime. I mean... For those of you who, who don't remember, I once organized a game of donkey basketball at the site of Sepphoris, And and donkey basketball really, for me, you know, really hammered hammered down, nailed down the whole idea that, you know, <laughs> donkeys are donkeys are very strong-willed animals. And How do you they play don't donkey move to basketball. How do you play donkey basketball?
1: Yeah.
2: Every donkey, there's a there's a rider. Yes. And generally, there's a, there's a handler as well, because uh-huh. you, know, you can't really get donkeys to move. They so just, you,
1: you at Sepphoris corralled a bunch of donkeys. And no, no. It's, it's even better. I've organized two what
2: I consider to be epic um, uh, events in Near Eastern archaeology. See,
1: there Boys was, and girls, this is why you have to become an archaeologist. There
2: was the mud wrestling at yes. Hale, Uh when the less said about that the better
1: <laughs> that lives on in memory of people like me who weren't even there yes yeah,
2: yeah. and then and then there was the game of donkey basketball at Sepphoris. We stayed at a place that actually had donkeys okay that you could tour the tour the Galilee on a donkey okay uh, and, and we don't have to go into more detail about that there, there's obviously a very parochial aspect to that. And so I saw those donkeys and we used, and we, there was a basketball court. We played basketball and I was like, donkey basketball. Did you guys not grow up with, with the firemen playing the policemen and donkey basketball at the local gym? Oh, that was, oh boy.
0: Here I confess my own parochial. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: Well, that was part of my childhood to go see the firemen, the firefighters versus the cops on donkey basketball. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, we, um, so you play, so one person is with the basketball on a donkey, and then there's a someone dragging the donkey to get it to move, and you just, you know,
1: you pass the ball, you shoot the ball, everything wow. has to be
2: from the donkey.
1: If only there were video of this. Wow. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. would be
2: nice. Yeah. Videos would be nice. Well, whatever. Donkey right.
1: so, so donkeys are hard to
2: corral. Is Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're hard to they're hard to motivate. They right. have a mind of their own. And they're also little. They're comparatively. Yeah, right. Compared a
0: to a, a, an onager or a kunga, certainly. Oh, well,
1: the wow. horse. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I was just looking though at the standard of Ur, which is mentioned in some of these Talbanat the articles, as an ethnographic or as a as a visual comparison for for donkey carts. And some of these equids are walking, and some of them seem to be running or galloping over the bodies of the dead, I might add. Well, um, that might
2: be aspirational.
1: That might be aspirational, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the ones on the bottom left are, are certainly just walking, pulling um, right. this cart. So, um, so it's not out of the question to have equids, um, even, like, even non-stallion type equids um, in battle in the third millennium.
2: I get. I if that's all they had, that's all they had. Right. I mean, you know, you are what you is. So right. if if the battle played out, that you have a couple of guys jumping on and off the back of a cart with being hauled by, kunga. So be right. it. And 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 uh, tossing tossing mud balls at, <laughs> at right. each other. Right. Exactly. If that's what it meant to fight, then that's what it meant to fight. May may the better kunga win. But um. <laughs> <laughs> but, um um what i okay so what they found one of the interpretations they made was that they had two um components of an army that they had you know kunga wagoneers uh being buried with their equids and then they had you know some kind of infantry being buried with their with their clay um, pellets right and I, my question and, and is, some kids
0: and, and some kids who were the clay pellet
1: well this is the other thing that they right. did have have yeah i don't want i want to hear your question but i just want to point out that there are also non-adults in right. the bones of the assemblage which is weird and which the no, educators admit is weird if they're talking about warrior burials what those are kids
0: <laughs>
2: not adults are kids sub-adults yes. some sub-adults some <laughs> get back to your room go to sleep <laughs> so right and so of course you know one interpretation would be, oh, this isn't an army at all. It's just a, an, a, you know, it's just some kind of secondary burial of a group of people who we right. don't really have a good handle on. Right. A lot of the bones, they couldn't sex the bones and they couldn't age the bones. So right. we don't really know what they are. The ones that there was a very small number, ultimately, and that was my question. Is, is there is there enough um, for a statistical analysis of anything? Can we say anything when there's only, you know, yeah. 18... 18 of these. Uh,
0: right. Right. And, and I right. didn't say anything about uh, evidence of evidence of uh, trauma
1: or violence right. on these very fragmentary bones. Exactly. exactly. Um, but I think one group, the group with the equids, it was like five out of seven deposits had equid bones and the group with the pellets, seven out of 10 deposits had, so these are really had had stones. So really small numbers statistically right. speaking. Yeah. So, that, so
0: well, one of one of the things that we take away from this is
2: that, in the third millennium, they loved their equids. They well, then, much earlier, um, um, Whenever you know they they there's a long love affair in you know in the Fertile Crescent writ large, between humans and their equids. Yeah, yeah. Right. And this,
1: but in the
0: third, but in the third millennium, they start representing it, on, in plastic art. Because there are a million of these little donkey cart right. um, and, uh, figurines, some of them found
1: on the site,
0: right? And 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 in um, royal art, like uh, the stele of the vultures and, and, the and other and things, border. where they've got these massive battle cars, battle Kings wagon, riding battle wagon. I like <laughs> battle car. Battle <laughs> car. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, we, we can go whatever
0: we want. It has a very British kind of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to it. Um, so it becomes a kind of kind it, it certainly is adopted as a royal symbol and as a as a military technology as an elite technology um you know whatever they were doing before with the with their donkeys dragging little wheeled vehicles they're souping them up for for
2: action right by
0: the third millennium
2: right and th- and this is and if you want to look at it as sort of a you know, in some kind of um, evolutionary trajectory, um, you know, these are the Model Ts. And then Mm -hmm. in the second millennium, you know, they they get real horses. They get Mustangs, you know, (laughs) literally (laughs) figuratively. And and that's an animal, as you said, that can inspire terror. And obviously they're much larger. They're much more beautiful. They're much more graceful. They're, um, you know- Higher maintenance too. Well, they are, but that's the- overall trajectory of all complex society. You know, everything becomes higher maintenance and higher and more specialized and, you know, infinitely better at the job that it does, but also infinitely more expensive and infinitely more, you know, difficult to master and difficult to breed and all of those kinds of things. But, um, you know, by the second millennium, you don't see donkeys in plastic art, really. You see horses. And you don't see donkeys in any kind of royal, you know, royal iconography. It's all, you know, everything is horses and lions. Right. 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 You don't
0: okay. see. You don't really see carts per se. Right. You occasionally carts, right. but really what you see is the symbol are chariots of various kinds. Exactly. Well, exactly. although
1: if you go back a little bit to the to the second millennium to the middle Bronze Age, and you get the Hyksos burials with with equids, I believe those are are donkeys or onagers or. Something right. That but that's
2: works. yes, you're right. No, that's a good point. But and that's really at the cusp of the shift. Good point. Good because point. Because then it's chariotry, chariot, chariot chariotry. Right. Which you should never say three times, let alone. Times.
1: <laughs> you did that pretty well though. Mm. Um, yeah, but but you know, they are bearing those are great examples a couple hundred years later of bearing people with with donkeys and I believe parts of carts sometimes. Um,
0: Right. Well, and in the third millennium, there are a lot of equid burials, all all over. All over, uh, right? Certainly, in the southern Levant, you know, there are a bunch of equid burials, inside inside sites because they kind of just they love these things so much. Right. But, but these he, are these are utilitarian, exactly. Beloved, but like animals, they're not, you know, high tech, uh, weapons of war.
2: But they were also the the symbol of of trade way, of trade, right? Of mobility. Atomic. Yeah. Um, not just commerce, but also, you know, just any kind of, you know, mobility. So, you know, going down to going from one place to another, whether it's long, you know, long distance or short distance, um,
0: C- the USA,
2: <laughs> Chevrolet. well, exactly right. And I'm thinking, it's a kind of,
0: you know, mass market, um, middle-class, uh, thing, right? Yeah. Dad, can we take, can we get a donkey? Yes. So we have a donkey now. Yes, yes. We'll go to the beach.
2: Right. Exactly. <laughs> and and uh, probably more affordable. Right. Um, probably less high tech in terms of breeding. Um, certainly sturdy. You know, definitely a yeah. Rambler more than a Ferrari. Um, uh, <laughs> My think a Rambler. Did you really? Yeah. yeah. Rambler station wagon. Whoa, classic. Yeah. Nice. But then, um, after the, that whole that whole modality becomes, you know, replaced with um, with the horse, much more elitist, um, much more um, complicated, but also much more um, with much greater sort of you know iconographic depth to it.
0: All right. The other thing that, so, that impressed me about this example, and really, it made me think, which is unusual, um, just how completely endemic warfare was in the third millennium in Syria and Mesopotamia. And, you know, we have, we have scattered examples, but to me, it's really beginning to all coalesce into this long period of people um, fighting back and forth with with kungas and carts and pellets and the whole symbol of of warfare and stomping on your enemies becoming more and more and more of a royal uh royal image and here's a very nice example um one way or one way or the other we don't know what they were fighting about but but here they are.
1: Right, we'll never know what they're f- actually fighting about. That's interesting too. Well,
2: I was a little surprised that nowhere in in the article did it, did anyone say anything about you know the dynasty of Akkad and its expansion, you know westward. Mm. I, I thought that was going to creep mm. in there because it was right at you know it's you know twenty four fifty to twenty three hundred, and it's in this area that you know we don't know whether this is the you know whether. Whether, whether Sargon was really there or just talked about being there. So I was surprised right. that didn't seep in. But... Um, right, and, we, and, and
0: reciprocally, the whole uh, expansion of the later kingdom of Ebla. Right.
1: Uh, yep. mm-hmm. Which we know mm-hmm.
0: was campaigning here and there and everywhere and was very active right. in these regions and down towards the Euphrates, right. uh, yeah. down the Euphrates uh, yep. in this broad time zone. Right. Well,
1: that was right. actually something I liked about the article that it didn't go into historical speculations based on anything textual. It just uh, used the archaeology for itself, which is, I think, unusual because we always want to pull the history into it. So here we have evidence of the battle. Maybe it's the Acadians. Maybe it's the Eblites, Each of them expanding, but we'll never know. So they're just leaving it out. Right. Um, which, yes. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and one. one the,
0: other. Little omission. What? a tasteful omission
1: oh yeah a tasteful omission right um one thing so i'll throw this out here um because well you two know that like 30 years ago i worked a lot on death and burial and that kind of thing um was it only 30 uh, years ago i think it was only 30 years ago (laughs) it seems like just yesterday (laughs) or perhaps uh,
2: Um, (laughs) perhaps (laughs) none none of us even look 30
1: how could we possibly be old enough to have been doing this 30 years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, the way that burial archaeology differs from settlement archaeology, or one of the ways it differs, is that people are burying, and even secondary burial, or especially, there's this idea of intent, right? Like, like you leave a house because somebody's attacking you and burning down your house, you run away, and things fall where they may, as opposed to a burial. You are putting things together the way you want to kind of represent your society, your priorities, what have you. So there these things are put together in a particular way because the people who did the bearing wanted to well be seen, although they weren't thinking about being dug up. They wanted to put things together the way they believed things should be put together. So if you if the if the theory is right, then yeah, they were representing warriors by putting Equids in, and they're representing another group of warriors, the foot soldiers, by putting the pellets in. So that's that's an, just an interesting point about burials. So now I'll be quiet about. Well, that. yeah, it's
0: a big represent. The whole the whole thing is a big representation,
1: right? And, and it's very long lived. That
2: that's what I really liked was the fact that there is this extraordinary longevity to this war memorial. It has three phases. Yeah. Its earliest phase <clears throat> clearly has you know specialized. Interesting, unusual burials of some sort. The second phase things get even more interesting and enigmatic from a ritual behavior, um, and then the third phase, you know, is this warm is the war memorial par excellence. But regardless, yeah. this this is a specialized site within view of the urban site, right outside of the urban site, and um, it had a it, it was established as some kind of a of a cemetery or a memorial, you know, memorial to the dead. And it maintained that status for, you know, for
1: many right. centuries. It a lot of
0: work to maintain this thing with all the yeah. plaster on the surface and. Uh, right.
1: Yeah. And it was still visible until the late 20th century when when the damming project and the flood destroyed it. So that's right. a pretty long. And in the final long.
0: phase, you've only got I mean, how many individuals did they recover? 18? So they're probably more. About oh, 30. That's well, that, yeah. And that's
2: a big, right, and that I do consider one of the big issues regarding this as a war memorial. Though maybe, you know, maybe the internment of a very small number of people because it was so difficult and laborious was not the important thing. The important thing is that the ritual of putting some bones of people who were right. associated with the battle into this very large, big monument that was visible and important and clearly well tended um for for centuries
0: it's the tomb of the unknown soldiers yes is is what it is because they're they're, they came in they came in pieces (laughs) and um but there there's no individual association really possible it's certainly not um over over time but yeah. there's a lot of you know, random bones that are spread out all over the place. It's the idea of, the, of the, the people. It's the idea of the event or the sacrifice or what have you. That's
2: all right. right. So, so right. Let, me, let me take that and offer this. So Alex, you uh, earlier said how much fighting was going on in the early Bronze Age. Um, undoubtedly, that's accurate. But here we have a huge memorial, very dedicated and well-planned um and was that memorial to a single incident a single battle or a single war um and if so maybe there wasn't so much fighting maybe that maybe each maybe a battle or a war was a big event for that that
0: that was so out of the ordinary right that it right. had to, they were moved to right. to put up this extraordinary thing. So, exactly. That's
1: nice. That's no, really. nice. I That's want to true. add to that, actually. Yes. It, it, I keep thinking about these sub adult, that is the kids, um, bones mixed in here. And um, what if this is the losers memorializing their war dead and their war dead included civilians? And um, that would explain the presence of children with with warriors. If you're making a big, a big um, memorial pile of deceased um who came from the war either as as professionals or as as civilians who got uh smashed by the other side
2: mm-hmm. i mean right it the data is is sort of so sparse that we that there's a lot of big questions so they they selected a lot of bones that are in you know pretty um pretty worn out and with that we yeah. can discern very little but clearly they did also, they also selected for these kids. So yeah. they selected a bunch of adult bones for no particular reason other than to rebury them, to reinter them. But then they also selected children. Um, yeah. And whether those children were part of the military event or whether those children represented the community writ large or, you know, other, you know, the tragedy of, uh, of civilians or whatever. Um, right, which, that which seems like a safe. very
1: sorry, it pushes your theory of this is an extraordinary event where, you know, terrible tragedy, where they wanted to memorialize it. Right. So
2: it can go, it can go either way. And that's, that's sort of the, um, you know, the, the beauty of this whole thing is is that um, the inferences, you know, there are a lot of different kinds of inferences that can go in very different directions, but they all are, you know, closely tied to the data that we do have. Um, Yeah. And and so the degree of speculation is is fun and imaginative, but also you know pretty tied into the data. Um, right. but in the third millennium
0: in in Syria, Mesopotamia, you have you have two kinds of um, notable burial styles. One are burials of, of royals right. at Ebla um mm-hmm. Tilbarsip, other other places often in, in the, intramural intramural um, and they're and they're not usually visible because there's under underneath
1: floors and stuff right sometimes um, it can be the, the, the location under the floor is is remembered yeah, but it doesn't generation.
0: stick 20 meters above the plane
2: no no, no
1: um, okay okay um,
0: but then you also have particularly at or uh, in these royal tombs you have mass sacrifice of Retainers and other right. parts and wa- of the court, right, and and, wagon. and, and wagons and equids, right, um, or so or are they
2: oxen? Oh, I, th- I thought
0: yeah. they were equids, but maybe I don't know. The, the thing is, is,
2: that famous picture, those two pictures in the Illustrated London News are of oxen i believe yeah yeah the reconstruction yeah but but they the the bones that those might be fanciful drawings and the bones might be equids
1: and regardless (laughs) they're animals that pulled things in burials (laughs) i'll take animals that pulled things in
0: burials from 500 please (laughs) (laughs) right but my point is that even even though these um the burials the installations themselves were not visible the process was was very socially visible because if you're oh yeah that's true yes (laughs) if you're whacking you know a couple hundred people from the community that that tends to leave a mark (laughs) it
2: does yes
1: yeah also if you're constructing this huge thing that doesn't happen overnight that's that's also quite visible in the community
2: Right, but, you know, that whole issue about labor and all of these big monumental walls and things like that, I think we all know that, you know, it takes less time and effort than we, than we think, you know, that these things can be thrown up pretty quickly,
1: because you have 50
2: to 100 people who dedicate, you know, let's say, two months or even less, and you can move a lot of dirt, as we all know.
1: That's true. Right. That still speaks to social organization and centralized authority and blah blah. Right, right.
2: And yeah. I think that the uh, they they sort of mention this whole thing about the this, this, you know the state state controlled force was a, right. another inference that they drew out of the fact that you know they're suggesting that it was uh, units in the military and the organized military suggests you know state state force. Right. So right. that kind of thing. Right. Yeah.
0: But I like the way that, that it could be interpreted a number of different ways. And there was a, there was a, I don't want to call it fun.
2: <laughs> we'll have none of that. <laughs>
0: but there was a, a, an interesting, uh, creative kind of take on this, which I think is pretty, pretty persuasive yeah. overall.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I um, definitely think the next step is lining up a bunch of, and I don't necessarily know if you have to use undergraduates, maybe undergrads.
1: I think undergraduates
2: would be better. Yeah, with slings and clay pellets and see exactly what happens.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you need um, your, your human review board to sign off on
2: that? Yeah, yeah. As long as they've paid their tuition for the semester, I think it's all, it's all fine.
0: Probably. <laughs> There's some sort of release that they'll sign when they, when they go to the class or just do it at a picnic.
1: Do it at a picnic, yeah. yeah. And then the you can yell at them. be careful because those slingshot balls can put out an eye. Yeah, and that was, so
2: this, this, this pellet thing really, I'm really stuck on the pellet thing. Like, okay, so whether there was a lot of warfare or whether warfare was an unusual thing that was a big deal, either way, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If these pellets are just annoying, or just going <laughs> to leave you with welts. You know, <laughs> what was warfare really like?
1: It's probably a lot of well, yelling. Also like... Sorry, there were also swords and spears and things of this sort. This is, I mean, not here, yeah. but um, in general. I don't
2: see the pointy sticks. Yes, we, we, right, right. We have illustrations of that, but um, the numbers of, of people in this war memorial are teeny tiny. And, and we know from the, uh, much later, from over a millennium later, um, the Amarna tablets, you know, these Canaanite princes are asking for 12 archers or six archers, teeny tiny numbers of people. So, right. you know, I've always wondered about that. That's a I mean, we have these big literary and reliefs of, you know, various, various um, battles at Kadesh in particular you know, where we have lots of, you know, big armies suggested, but we also have lots of counterexamples in which warfare seems to be a very, very kind of small, um, kind Mm -hmm. of event. And I'm wondering. I haven't really
1: thought about that. That's really interesting. Actually, the Amarna numbers. Yeah.
2: Oh, the Amarna numbers are crazy. It's like, it takes six archers for, for, you know, Le Bayou to, you know, do whatever he's doing against whoever, right. But
0: that's like, I, I always think of that in terms of, okay, please send me a detachment of special forces. Mm. Um, and they're going to, they're going to, you know, put they're the peasant
2: s- in line. Yeah, they're yeah. going to, right. Okay. They're going to really, but, but if everyone is asking for such, I don't know, it, I, I, I think that could be, I, I. I don't. Yeah, I'm not. I don't think they're that special. <laughs> well, I, I, th- I think that they have. I think that they have bows and they know how to use them. Um, but I think, I think that, that the, that's what makes them special. <laughs> you're special, dear. Here's your bow. But um, but I think that the numbers that there's something we haven't quite un, uh, uncovered about the numbers. The numbers are so small, and that's what yeah. struck me about this war memorial is if they're selecting examples or, you know, if they're exactly why mm-hmm. such a small number? Like why not? if They're just basically, you know, um, opening up a cemetery that's many kilometers away and they're just moving these bones without any care. Why not take a lot of bones to sort of get back to what Alex was talking about, that this was a process to sort of mm-hmm. really, um, Uh, emphasize in the process of how many people were involved, the loss of life or, you know, the destruction it wrought um, in some way. Why take such a small sample?
1: I don't know, I can read that the other way. Um, The the, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers, only one Tomb of one Unknown soldier. so yeah. Well, but that's,
0: but there's also a a time dimension here that that we didn't talk about and that the authors didn't talk about. They're taking disarticulated bones from either a cemetery or a battlefield so that means x amount of months or however long after the, the fact it's not like the next day after the battle everybody's sitting there going oh we have to create a memorial we have to do it now yeah it's or we have to reconfigure this exi- existing burial mound to to commemorate the sacrifice right you know, some some time later some decision was somehow made yeah, that this yeah. was the thing to do. And, you know, the resources, including the bones were then
2: obtained. Which mm-hmm. is actually kind of interesting that if it was a battlefield that they, in that time span that they remembered where the battlefield was and, or maybe it was a matter of, I don't want to touch that, those gross bodies. We're going to have to wait until, you know, the vultures pick it over and the hyenas well, and everybody else until they're I'll just dry bones. Cool. And then we can then we can stack them up. So the time dimension is really important in terms of knowing where the places were, of keeping track of where the cemetery was, uh, and then going back. And that is a lot of decision making. There's a lot of steps to do all of that. Um, A lot of a lot of review boards (laughs) need to sign off. Um,
0: Right. Right. Consult, right. You have consultants, you have committees. Right, a lot of
2: committee work. You, have, you <laughs> have budgets that have to be gone over. Right, and then there's the issue of if it's a, if it's a battlefield, then it's presumably in some kind of, you know, liminal space between Banat mm. and Tel you know, whatever. Um, you have to gain access. Do you have to negotiate going back to the battlefield and removing some bones? Do both sides agree that we're going to go back to the battlefield and we'll each
1: take a selection of
2: bones? Um, right.
1: That's, right. that's a so really interesting point. And there's also, you know, in lots of ancient texts, of course, I'm thinking of the Iliad, which is so far removed, but you know, the idea of kidnapping or not releasing the bones of the enemy. Um, so I think there's, yeah.
0: Right. But if you go to, um, the tomb of the, the, the Spartans at Thermopylae that was done, I don't know, relatively soon after, after the fact, And it's a huge community. It's a huge sort of quasi national commemorative site. They made this giant tumulus. They put hundreds of hundreds of their war dead into it. And that's a a whole different level of, I don't know, intent, you might say, commemoration, as opposed to, we're gonna take an existing thing. We're gonna take a couple of bones and yeah, uh, we're good.
2: I also was wondering about um, why this is the only example um, or and so do we need to go back to, you know, Mm. do we need to to sort of reconsider all of these small hillocks uh, associated with sites, Um, because when you go to certain parts of the Near East, you know, it's sort of like a an archaeological laboratory where you see, you know, dozens and dozens of sites, Um, the Hatai is a perfect example northern mesopotamia is a a very good example um you know central syria so um maybe that really needs to be re-examined because this can't be the only one right Mm -hmm. if it's a war memorial then it suggests a you know and this is a pretty high bound society right they they they're, they're not big on innovation they all do all of these you know all of these small-scale states, city-states—they right. all do the same thing. So, right. if if this is a war memorial, there's got to be a bunch more of them out there, I would think. Right, right. Um, unless they're all flooded by now. Well, I mean that aside, I would say yeah. you know, just in in central and and eastern Syria writ large, in southeastern Turkey, in you know, in northern mm-hmm. Iraq in Kurdistan.
1: So you think they're there and they just haven't been explored or recognized yet?
2: Yeah, I think that and you know, we, yeah, I I think that there's lots of small little mounds that probably, you know, people, archeologists gravitate towards large pedigreed mounds. Right. This is, you know, this is, this is a big problem in archeology span and it's, it gets done over and over again. So in this particular case, it's very uh, fortuitous that for whatever reasons they said, let's crack this this little one, you know, yeah. open over here, um, yeah. right? But if if
0: that's the case, if there are war memorials all over the place, but they only consist of um, a mound with a token sample of bones put into them, um, archaeologists would never find them. Really, they would never identify them as as such, even even if. Uh, whether it's an artificial mound or a, or a natural mound that was used as a memorial, um, how, how would you know if there are only, you know, 20 or 30 individuals that are buried there to commemorate this great battle?
2: Right, but, but this yeah. is the kind of thing that um, with, you know, with, with ground penetrating radar and things like that uh, and, and, and very small scale testing you know, excavation, um, you could probably check in a very small contained area with a lot of, you know, with a lot of tells and small mounds. You could probably do a nice little case study of that. That would be interesting, yeah.
0: As usual, we need to grant. Right. <laughs> so, so on that note, we, we should say to our listener, um, We're we're anxious to hear from you and your and your grant grant making agency that you represent. So send money. Lots of Um, it. Final
2: thoughts. Well, it was a very timely uh, um, episode coming just after Memorial Day. True. true. And
1: uh,
2: and it was a very uh, very interesting article. Yeah, and and
0: uh, it raises the question for me of who is buried in Grant's
2: tomb? (laughs) Hmm. A a bottle of Grant's. (laughs) It's Grant
0: and uh, his wife and his horse and his horse. Yeah. Yes, which is a perfect
1: example of an equid burial.
2: There you go. Wow! Full circle. Well done. There you go. Mic drop time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right,
0: (laughs) and
2: we're Um,
0: out. Well, that was an episode that took us from point A to at least point B. As always, we'd like to thank Eris Dessel and his mighty Wurlitzer for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, the Osborne Computer Company, maker of the Osborne 1, the portable computer with a full 64 kilobytes of RAM and two floppy drives. At 25 pounds, it's the only computer that fits under a standard airline seat. To get in touch... Leave us a comment, send us an email at East, all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177, Boston, Mass., 02134.